Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of RTAF Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Norris. And first order of business is big announcement time. That's right. I started the Patreon. I gone and did it. It's done. And let me break it down for you. I have three tiers. $4, $8, $16. There's RTAF, Artsier AF, and RTST AF. And even on the first tier, just regular old RTAF, you get the satisfaction of knowing you'll be giving me emotional and financial support, a shouts at the top of the next episode after you donate, which includes your name and one social media handle of your choice. You get access to patron-only posts and updates and a video of each podcast. And that's just level one. It gets better from there. Level two, you get all the things in level one. And you get to have fan requests slash voting rights in terms of who I have on the podcast. You have my ear if you're giving me $8 a month. And finally, but certainly not least, RTSAF. At this tier, you get all the things in the first two levels. That's shouts, patron-only posts and updates, video of each podcast, fan requests. Plus, you get 15% off anything on my website. That includes original paintings. And you get an RCAF merch bundle. I have delegated Patreon, my merch store. What you'll be getting is a mini print, a sticker, a mug, and a t-shirt. And those will be mailed out every three months in that order. And it's the new remixed logo designed by Ali Krim in episode 66. If you didn't catch that, it's also an NFT. And thanks for being here as always. I really do appreciate all the support I've gotten so far. Those of you who have bought t-shirts, hoodies, keychains over the past year and a half. Thank you so much. And now I also want to make something clear about this. None of the forthcoming audio episodes will be put behind the paywall. I may at some point take the first 45 episodes. Those were all the episodes with John and put them at a tier, probably the $4 tier, just to throw that in there, just to give anybody who wants to pay $48 a year access to those first episodes. But yeah, that's where I'm at with it. And the reason I'm doing this is because, well, guys, like the artist's life isn't easy. And anything that takes away time and energy from producing artwork and doing all the administrative stuff that comes along with that, promotion, buying prints and packaging them in a way that they are sellable, shipping, all that stuff, anything that takes away from that kind of puts a wrench in the momentum sometimes. So I want to turn this podcast from a liability to an asset, basically. And I'd love your support. I would love your help. And it'll keep the podcast going. So this week's episode, we have got Sam Andrus, who goes by 5 a.m. when he's producing music. And uh, yeah, Sam's a producer. He's a musician. He has the 5 a.m. trio live band. And he's also a digital artist as well. He makes some really cool stuff. Follow that profile at 5 a.m. visuals. 
and just 5 a.m. music for the music. And in this episode, we talk about Sam's backstory. He tells me, you know, how he got into making music, uh, explaining to an older person what MIDI is. We talk about reality tunnels and lots of cool mind-bending stuff in this one. Really excited for you all to hear it. And again, thanks for sticking around for this little bit, this little intro. And now, 5 5 a.m. Sweet, man. Awesome. So Sam Andrus, is that how you say it? Andrus? That's right. Okay. You got it. Sweet. Yeah, not I Andrews. Just, not <laughs> Andrews. Ah, oh, man. We don't need any more Andrews in the world, actually. I think we're good. There's enough. Yeah. Figured why not try a U instead of a EW. <laughs> it's like uh, kill two birds with one stone. Yeah. So you're out in Delaware, right? That's right. Yeah. Second smallest state. It's <laughs> an interesting fact. Sweet. Well, I usually start with um, like people's backstory and stuff. So I know that you're like, I think most well-known for your music. And that's that's how I found out about you first. But I also read that you... Yeah, you went to school at uh, at the Ro- Rhode Island College of Design for illustration. Is that right? Yeah, um, RISD, Rhode Island School of Design, um, and I did major in illustration. Yeah, I uh, I was uh, drawing for like, like the majority of like my teens and twenties, just like filling up sketchbooks. Nice. So, w- when did you get into music? Hmm. Um, I really first started playing music when I picked up, uh, my brother's guitar. Uh, he had just like gotten a new guitar and hadn't really been playing it that much. Cause you know, with kids, you get them something and see if they like it. And he hadn't uh, been playing the guitar quite as much. Um, mm-hmm. and then one day I was like homesick from school and I was like, Oh, um, let me play with that guitar. Like I just felt drawn to it or something. And I learned, uh, under the bridge by the red hot chili peppers. And I was 14. Nice. Sweet. So that was like, that was like my first kind of first experience, like learning an instrument. Uh, before that I would listen to like the, whatever music, like my dad loves music. Uh, and it's a big influence in that area. And, uh, so he would always have music on the kitchen and stuff. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I had been like sort of exposed to a lot of different music and kind of really liked it for a while, but that was like when I started playing it and then, um, yeah, just kind of, always loved like mixed CDs and like discovering new artists, uh, listen to the radio, just kind of music was always there, you know? Yeah, for sure. What, what kind of like, uh, you said your dad loved music. What kind of like musical influences were you growing up around as a kid? Oh, everything from like, yes to like, uh, Carlos Santana, Los Hombres Calientes, like, you know, very, very, uh, you know, uh, this guy, Vio Farcatore, Who's like oh, Malian nice. guitar? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Very just like music that came from a lot of different angles, like world music, rock. Uh, world music and rock were probably two of the 
uh, big ones, but yeah, so much. Yeah. Did you go through any like musical phases in your life? Like I know I definitely went through like a emo phase and like a pop punk phase and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Cool. I can see that. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Looking back. Yeah. Um, let's see. I went through a uh, Linkin Park phase. Nice. Um, remember listening to Linkin Park on my disc man. That was, that was big. Does that hold up for you? Like, do they hold up for you? I, have you listened Listening to, to Linkin Park now? That's a good question. Yeah. Actually, you know, <laughs> well, <laughs> I, w- I would say maybe not, but like the yeah, other yeah. day I was walking around and I was just thinking like that one song, um, it might be placed for my head, but it definitely talks about like, oh, somewhere I belong. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. Uh, the lyrics to that song are super poignant still. And I'm like, you know, that's really, he was really uh, like uh, onto something or like, you know, he he definitely like like song lyrics can sometimes be like oh the lyrics are really good but the song you know the production value isn't what i thought it was at the time i think that fits under that category for sure yeah yeah i just remember like i don't know how long ago it was you know how things just got weird in quarantine and i was like i wonder like what the get up kids sound like to me now you know they were like a mm-hmm. kind of like a seminal emo band and i listened to oh, totally to one of their albums and like the first song like hit, I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. And then the rest of the album, I was just like, I, I can't listen to this anymore. You know, mm-hmm. like I think there's totally just something about like being like an angsty teen that, that goes well with, with certain types of music, I guess. Mm-hmm. And you also think like, like uh, when you listen to a certain type of music at a certain time, those two things kind of fuse in a, in a sense. Yeah. Like they become one in, in your mind. And so like listening to something, that was very much of its time in your life at a different time might just not. Yeah. It doesn't carry over. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of weird. I've had that happen. Mm-hmm. But you, um, you, it made me appreciate that time of my life, I think for cool. what it was, you know, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, yeah. I'll watch, I'll watch cartoon shows that I used to like as a kid or, uh, you know, that, that were on at the time when I was growing up. And just get like crazy nostalgia and also like see maybe what the creators of the show are doing on a little bit of a deeper, deeper level too. Mm-hmm. Like maybe, you know, uh, what kind of lessons they're teaching or things like that. Kind of like uh, analyzing it as like uh, an adult and with all my life experience now and kind of relating to the characters in a different way. And it can be super interesting. Totally. What shows were you into back then? Yeah. Um, I liked Rugrats. Uh, oh, nice. Big SpongeBob fan. That's kind of like the era that I'm thinking of when I imagine sure, sure. that. Also, let's see. I would like to go back and watch uh, Batman Beyond and see like what, mm. see like what that was all about. Because I remember there was like some episodes where there were like, um, it was kind of like cyberpunk in some ways. Like, like uh, there were episodes where there were characters who were like um, gene splicing. Like that was like the the same way that like TikTok is a thing for kids today. Like gene splicing was a thing for kids in this universe and so they would like they would like go to raves and like turn on the fish dna (laughs) so they could just like be like like animal characters uh so yeah that's you know they would like it's it's crazy that like the creators of like kids tv shows are are kind of uh thinking about this these uh far out concepts yeah Um, yeah that's like really psychedelic in a way it's uh it's like Mm-hmm. future future looking and also like 
like that would probably never happen. We probably wouldn't splice our DNA with fish DNA, but it's like kind of fun to think about, you know? Yeah. It's interesting getting like a different vantage point when you're, when you're grown up and as someone now who, who creates things, looking back and, and seeing maybe what was going through the, the artists' minds and, and what they were trying to say. Totally. How they were channeling their life experiences. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, guitar was your first instrument then? Guitar was my first instrument. And uh, I was in a Jewish youth group when I was uh, in, in high school. And uh, one of the things that we would do is we would, like, gather around and do Havdalah services, which is kind of like a, uh, to, like, bring in the Sabbath. So it's kind of just like the weekend is starting and we're taking a break. And, you know, traditionally it's when you don't turn on any of your technology or anything. You just kind of like meditate and focus on existence or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Havdalah is like, actually Havdalah services are the ending of Shabbat. So uh, they're on Saturday. So anyways, I would like play my guitar along with singing the uh, spiritual songs. And that was kind of like the first experience I had, like playing music in front of a crowd. Oh, wow. Um, and... Yeah, just I was kind of like guitar. Def- me and guitar have always had like a certain relationship. Although like recently, um, I haven't really played guitar in like in like four years. I want to say because I've mm. picked up keyboard and I've been just jamming on keyboard. Kind of the same way I picked up guitar, I've just been jamming on keyboard lately, and I really enjoy that. Just still kind of getting the hang of it and learning all the scales and the chords and stuff. But um, yeah, so I, I basically switched over from keyboard to guitar over the past like four or five years or from i'm sorry to keyboard from guitar yeah 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 nice what was there anything in particular that precipitated that that switch over yes um really it comes down to the kind of music that i've started to want to make is very much like midi based so it's like a lot of the sounds are made with like futuristic synthesizer sounds and like uh samples from sample packs that might be of a Japanese instrument or drum kits and things like that that uh, that are all controlled with MIDI. So my keyboard allows me to play any of those samples. And uh, it's funny. Um, I was at a I was at like a party at my grandma's house last year, and um, one of her sort of lifelong friends who. Um, was in like news for a long time and is retired now asked me like so you make music you're the musician and i'm like yeah and he's like okay so so can you explain this to me so you make music on the computer and so i'm like okay (laughs) deep breath like (laughs) let's let's start from square one what what did he what was he confused about so he didn't understand how you could make music on a computer and I think what he had in his mind was a composer conducting an orchestra. So somebody who knows, like, who has all the parts written out on sheet music and, and is, tells the violins to get louder and then quiets them down, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And he's imagining, like, so how do, I, how do you do this on a computer? And so I had to explain to him, well, well, the violin section can be controlled by this thing called MIDI. And then he's like, what's MIDI? So really, this is like starting from square one. So I, right. I'm, I'm telling you basically MIDI is like a programming language that you use to tell the software what note to play. Right. So a, mid, a MIDI keyboard, each key is a different note. So I, can play, so I can play a violin section using a keyboard. 
So <laughs> I had to like, I had to like walk through every step of this and it kind of like blew my mind as far as like how, how many layers of understanding it takes to, for somebody who's not familiar with like digital music production to be familiar with digital music production and what, what that actually looks like or means like uh, on a very practical level. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you think like explaining it helps you kind of round out your understand or like, yeah, your understanding of how it all works, like being able to articulate things in, in a very like logical manner so that it's understood by someone else. Does that, do you think that helps you at totally. all? Totally. Well, um, so I, I do teach uh, music lessons. So the first time I ever understood fully what a compressor does was when I had to learn what a compressor did so I could explain it to somebody who was asking. Nice. And I just realized one day I was like, okay, I have this kind of like ad hoc explanation that I can give, but like it, it doesn't, it's not an academic one. So mm -hmm. somebody who went to audio school, which I did not, would, would be able to give the official definition of what compression is. But me, as kind of a self-taught person, didn't have that uh, faculty. So I had to go online and onto Sound on Sound, which is a really cool website, which explains like uh, every facet of music production. Um, and I had to like look for compression and I just like sat there and I like read it. Okay. So, you know, and I, I figured out what compression was now, And so now I can teach it confidently rather than kind of like beating around the bush as to what it actually is or giving some kind of like half ex explanation of it. I can like confidently explain it. Sweet. Were you going to ask something or say something? Oh, I was going to, well, I was going to see, see if you wouldn't mind breaking it down for us right now. Compression. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. So compression is when you compress, and I know I'm using the word in definition, but that's okay. It's when you compress the audio signal so that the quietest sounds are a little louder and the louder sounds are a little quieter. And um, nice. The uh, the compressor has a threshold, which is uh, the threshold is like the middle point, like the average level mm -hmm. that you want to compress to. So if I turn the threshold down, if I make the threshold like negative 15 dB, mm -hmm. then it's going to, anything that's louder than negative 15 dB, it's going to bring down to negative 15 by a given amount. Mm -hmm. Anything that's quieter than negative 15 dB, it's going to bring up to negative 15 by a given amount. So this is an effect okay. that, that brings the, the high dynamic range and it brings it down to a more compressed dynamic range. And so this is like the basics of a compressor. There's also the ratio, which is like how much do we want to bring that sound up or down by, like what ratio. And then there's the uh, output. So a compressor, naturally what it does is it makes sounds quieter because it brings the loud sounds down to the threshold. So then you would you'd need makeup gain to turn that back up to its original perceived level. So there's compression. Nice, thanks. Thanks for laying that out. I know it can be like a tedious thing and be like on the spot, but uh, yeah, that that actually, I'm gonna use that now when people ask me what that that is because I I do compress the podcast. Um, I just use like a oh hell yeah a, a little uh, it's called Levelator, and so it's like level I think a a leveler and a compressor in one, but it's made for like spoken word audio. Um, but yeah, that really makes it clear in my mind. Cool. So thanks for that little lesson, dude. Yeah. Anytime. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things to do. Nice. What, uh, what programs are you, do you use to, for music production? Are you using Ableton or Logic or what are you using? 
Uh, I work in Ableton. Nice. Ableton Live. It seems like you started out with like kind of analog instruments. What at what point in your life did did you kind of decide like, oh, like this electronic music thing seems cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into that. That was in uh, in college. So you know, I had some friends who went to Bonnaroo um, in 2008, 2009, and they came back with all these stories, and <laughs> you know, nice. Um, Jim James from My Morning Jacket controlled the weather at that one set. You know, like <laughs> that type of thing. Yeah, just the magic and the mystique of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, I actually went to the that I remember that one specifically because I was at that set but that was you know when you go to festivals there's always these just uh the lore of like the things that happen at the festivals right so i got interested in that and i would look at the i'd look at the festival lineups and i'd be like cool who's pretty lights or like you know because at like festivals like all good or bisco you get the jam bands which i already knew about and then you get the electronic bands and this was like 2009 10 kind of remember like i didn't go to i didn't go to electronic festivals until much later but I remember like seeing names like Bass Nectar and Tipper kind of pop up and Pretty Lights and um, yeah. So uh, so I got into it and I was I was like, what is this? Like I want to get involved in this. I, I feel like I could like uh, this compels me to want to participate in it somehow. Like when I'm seeing this music, I want to like do it. <laughs> you know yeah, and that yeah. that inspiration kind of what what it's all about for me. So like like I hear this. This is this is really making me feel good and I want to be a part of this whatever it is and so um i took a class called computers and music which at RISD you can take like a dual degree program with brown um i and you can also take classes a la carte they have like a partnership so you can get credits for RISD they're they're like transferable so i took a class called computers and music and um learned about like early computer music like and also tape music kind of like the evolution of music digitally and um I, i paid attention and i I, you know, a lot of classes I didn't pay as much attention in, but that one I was like, teach me about the stuff. And uh, so I learned about like Carl Heinz Stockhausen and Pierre Schaeffer and, oh man, Raymond Scott, who's like, Raymond Scott is like the guy who, I don't know if he designed the R2-D2's sound effects, but uh. he designed the, he worked with the computers that could make those little bleeps and bloops like early on in like the, the evolution of synthesizers. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I learned about like craft work and all that stuff. And uh, so it just got me thinking in a lot of like new ways about music and what it could, what, what can be music, what's not music, um, all that stuff. Nice. And uh, the first track I made was actually in Audacity uh, and it was a class project for sculpture class, which um, it, it was kind of like abstract sculpture final project. And like I made a piece that was like a long strip of not foam board, but a kind of board that has like connections inside of it I, I don't know what it's called but it's like you know a kind of board that you can buy in an arts art store mm-hmm. and uh, i wrote a song i like played djembe and i put some like guitar over it and i wrote like a little song and then i kind of like mapped the song out like where the hits were and where everything was and i made a little representation of the song on on like a like a sculpture of the song so oh, cool uh, that was like my first actual track that i made was i kind of wanted to like try something a little audiovisual sweet dude that's a that's awesome like so you're you're basically taking the the waveform and translating it into a sculpture yeah so like where the where the hits were like the the djembe hit or like a guitar pluck there would be like uh 
the height of the like I, I would stack these little chips of the board because I cut the board into these little like uh, rectangular pieces and I would stack the pieces like high if it was a loud hit quiet like low if it was a quiet hit and then I just kind of like sculpted the track out from there and it was a short loop and it was a yeah, yeah. you know overall kind of a straightforward project but it got me thinking about like visualizing sound and stuff yeah you know what that reminds me of and I picked up oh what's that uh like the nfts that we've been seeing lately i know that yeah man i can't wait i'm we'll, we'll talk about that for sure yeah yeah, yeah that i'm into i'm into it <laughs> for sure and uh it's been like yeah it's just been very like pervasive and um and so exciting so yeah i can't wait to talk about that um yeah so i picked up ableton live in 2011 because i i was doing some kind of that was actually i don't know if it was for a class project I think I might have just picked up Ableton Live because I wanted to get it. And like I was also doing visuals at parties around that time. Nice. And I was playing in like a little jam band. Like I would play guitar with another guitarist, a violinist, a drummer, and a, a bassist. And so, yeah, just a fun, like kind of chill jam band. Like the drummer played a djembe type instrument. We would just like chill on the college lawn and play music. It was good, good times. I picked up Ableton uh, as a way of kind of like sketching out song ideas and just like incorporating more technology into my performance and looping and I, I really was getting into looping and so I got Ableton uh also for looping but um I quickly realized that looping is only good if your production value for your looping is good in my opinion mm -hmm. like I was doing like this I, I'm drumming on my guitar and I'm beatboxing and I'm like looping but like the output when I sit back and listen to it is kind of like lo-fi and it's not really like it's not gonna. It's not gonna be in super engaging music if it's played live. It's just gonna be kind of interesting, like beard stroking music. Like mm, this is yeah. <laughs> this is interesting. But like, I really wanted to make you know, <laughs> I wanted to make something that was like more compelling and cool. So that's what got me into like production, production, like really learning sound design and drum programming and all that stuff. Nice. Yeah, that's yeah. that's always. I'm just always interested, like hearing people's like backstories because for me. It just it just seemed like I didn't really have so much of a it wasn't so much of like a conscious choice to like get into art and to into creating, but it just seems like that that's what I was predisposed to be into. And going through high school a bit, I sort of lost the thread and then picked it back up. And yeah, I just I'm just kind of wondering like what's your overall take on like you know free choice versus just like predisposition in your personality or whatever towards towards making art well yeah so i think that talent is a real thing so like people people some people are more talented at something than someone else it's a it's a real phenomenon but sure. it's a mix between like a few different factors it's like talent is like your initial predisposition to something coupled with your actual work and time and effort and hours that you pour into this thing Sure. And coupled with the resources that you have available to you and access and things like that um, all go into how talented someone becomes in something. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, I think that anyone can be an artist. I think that's for sure. Like anyone can be a creator or make things or or or, or develop a style or delve into their whatever their passion or or maybe some or their interest could could be. And then, uh, you know, some people uh, because of either dumb luck or encouragement or whatever get 
amazingly talented very early on mm-hmm. and other people it could take them decades yeah um, to find what the, that thing that like workflow or process or, or style that gets them there but yeah i mean so when you were younger so you were making art like back in high school and stuff um it was more like elementary school i was like that you know i i hit one peak when i was <laughs> really young and then stopped because of kind <laughs> gotcha. of like, you know, peer pressure. And I also did like sports. So I was trying to, you know, be a be an athlete like so many young boys are. Mm-hmm. And then I just, I got in high school, I, I don't know what I was doing. I was just, you know, a lost high school kid. And in college, mm-hmm. I started to kind of doodle on the margins of my notebook that's kind of when I also learned how to play music and like started a band and the band didn't end up working out. And I actually did try Ableton for a little bit and it just didn't, um, didn't really resonate with me because I think I'm like really somatic in terms of how I understand music. You know what I mean? And so like sitting there at a computer didn't really didn't really quite connect for me. I mean, I, I did make a few tracks, like two or three tracks and, but also at the same time I was like learning how to paint and like getting good at painting. And it's funny because I was like sharing both those things at the same time. This is kind of the first time I've thought about it. I was getting a, you know, kind of a bigger response from people when I would post the art. And so I was like, I guess I'll just like keep painting because like it, I found it more enjoyable. Although like finishing a track was like pretty exciting, but then like the actual process of like painting versus like finishing a track on Ableton or something was just felt better, you know? Yeah. And so like, yeah, I literally chose to go this path because I was getting these reinforced like, you know, social uh, appreciation from people and you know coupled with like reasoning about how it felt in the in the process so it's just interesting to me like all the little variables that contribute to like decision making when it comes Mm -hmm. to uh you know creating or just anything in life really i guess yeah it's like some combination of like circumstances and intuition and uh uh feedback and all that yeah yeah. Did you have any, so speaking of all that, did you have any like mentors or, or influences growing up? It's a great question. Um, you know, I, I did have mentors. I mean, my parents are super big influences and um, nice. are just good people. And they just really gave me a strong foundation. And um, and I also have uh, people I looked up to for sure. Um, there was a guy who goes, who's known as the art dude, whose name's uh, Max Frieder. And he's uh works with a program for kids uh, in um, some of the most underprivileged circumstances in the world. So refugee camps or, um, you know, small towns in uh, third world countries and things like that. And he will get together with them and paint these big murals that like uh, that they can like keep at their uh, in their village and kind of like look at as like a uh, mirror of whatever they were feeling at the time or whatever, like the kids work on the murals and they, um, you know, they, they're just like full color, like creativity blasts. It's like really cool. And, uh, he went to RISD too. So, you know, around the same time. Um, and 
seeing his energy for just like creativity and life and stuff was just like uh, a big influence on me. Mm-hmm. Um, I have like, I haven't had, you know, it's interesting. I don't want to like say that uh, in a resentful way that I haven't had any mentors. I've had a few mentors um, in the, in the conventional sense, but I've had many more like peers or like people who are like at my level who I compare notes with and kind of talk shop with and who kind of inspire me to keep pushing. That's the thing I've had a lot of um, my good, you know, good friend, Maddie in college who like we were jammed together and he like uh, was just like a, such a good friend and a good dude. And like, yeah, people like that, like who I like to spend time with and kind of um, get inspired by. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, I'm lucky, you know, in that sense, because I get to have things like that. But as far as like a person who said like, took, took me under their wing and kind of said like, here's how you do what you're trying to do. I haven't really met that person yet. And for a while I was kind of like very open to, and in a strange way, uh, my, my cousin, Philip actually is the best example of that because he's like 60 and um, I don't know, maybe another age, (laughs) he might be 70 at this point, but um, I I think of him as 60 and, uh, and he's like a music guy. He calls himself the boogie woogie mystic because he's uh, you know, religious jew and a and a blues and jazz musician and so he sort of pours his spiritual thoughts and all of his ideas about life into his music and he's been making music for since the 70s or earlier and was involved in a lot of like broadway plays and uh toured with uh some relatively big bands at least he was in a relatively big band and and toured with even more recognizable names. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the one that he was in, but it's okay. No need. Uh, mm-hmm. But he he sort of has a lot of accolades and a lot of accomplishments and a lot of friends in the industry who who kind of like made it with him, you know, uh, his his creative community. And um, I talk to him a lot. And so it's kind of a, you know, we, we talk about life and music and piano and all that good stuff. And uh He's actually been helping me with my one six two fives, which is a it's like a chord progression that if you yeah. learn it at every key on the piano, you can like get more fluent with playing the piano. Oh, cool! So yeah, it just kind of helps me out in like a few different ways. That's really cool. Yeah, it's I I'm always interested in little like tricks or or it's not really a cheat code, but like patterns i guess in in music and art and stuff like that like one you said one six two five or one six five two yeah yeah two five yeah that's uh, one cool. six two five and what it is it's yeah. like dum 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 oh okay <laughs> word <It's that. laughs> okay nice nice yeah that's cool like um I'm trying to think of like a corollary in, in painting. I can't really think of anything right now. I guess it would be something like, you know, just the relationship of colors, um, like pastel pink and, uh, phthalo green and, uh, maybe like a pastel orange or something like that. Anyway, um, I'm getting off topic here. Yeah. You look at a composition and, yeah, no, I know what you mean. You look at a composition and you're like, oh yeah, th- he's got kind of an orange blue going on in this one. Yeah, like you yeah. Can kind of see the contrasts and the relationships and, and you know, as you get more 
uh, attuned to that stuff, you can use it more as a part of your language. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, I, I also wanted to, I'll just pivot here real quick and ask you about, um, uh, like how has the, the lockdown affected your work this year? Did you, do you do anything new or, or different to, to kind of stay afloat? Great question. Yeah. I mean, how hasn't it affected everything? Yeah, right? totally. So, um, well, it's been, um, it's been really a double-edged sword. It's been bittersweet. It's been so many things because I had been on track to have, uh, my biggest, you know, run of shows in a long time. I had some really cool gigs coming up. I, I, uh, there was a few trio gigs, a few solo gigs. Um, and, you know, over the course of the pandemic, uh, it's definitely sort of solidified some of my beliefs about what I want to do and where I want to take my creativity. And it's also sort of, you know, thrown a wrench in a lot of the plans that I had. But but overall, I think my mindset has been pretty healthy around my music career because I had this, I always had this feeling that, like, it's... it's uh, it's going to come back or like, you know, like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Like everything I've done is going to prove to be fruitful no matter what happens too. So, um, it, it didn't really get me too discouraged. Like, you know, one thing that I've talked to, maybe you've heard this with some of the people you've talked to, but they were like, they say like, yeah, when, when the pandemic first hit, I thought, you know, Oh, I'm going to be able to dive into my creative process and make my coolest shit ever. But then what ended up happening was I, uh, I just didn't feel like making anything. And that seems to be the sentiment of like so many people I talk to. Mm. It's just like very interesting that that happens. For me, not much has changed. So this, the level of motivation I had to create was then before the pandemic is similar and comparable to now. One thing that has changed is I haven't released as many things. Mm -hmm. So I've been kind of like pushing back this, this one vision for a release because there was no need to... Uh, release music because without shows there's no need to like stay on top of the algorithms and try to get more bookings because right, there weren't right. going to be any bookings right. so why not just save the music for when things open back up and then you can release something and um and that can help drive like bookings for when uh when tours come back which you know still might not be for a matter of months but um i do have a couple a couple gigs here coming up um that i'm pretty excited about but over the course of the pandemic let's see i I got really into 3D, uh, 3D software, uh, Blender. I've been trying to do 3D art now because I've had this this dream for like a long time of like a thing I want to make, which is some kind of audiovisual, like dream game VR experience. And I have a few different ideas for something I would want to make, but I, I would want it to be like a game based on people um, writing music and uh, and breaking music down to like a gamified format where there are like pieces that you can collect and arrange and combine and then like maybe a competition between two tracks something like that where there's like contestants and a, a gamified situation uh that you can bring music into it's really hard to describe but basically imagine like uh battle bots but for tracks <laughs> something like that <laughs> but uh you know it's a long ways away. Oh yeah, go ahead. So BattleBots is that that um is that the 
show show that was on Comedy Central where they literally had robots battling each other. Maybe it wasn't Comedy Central, but it was like yeah, it's like yeah, people's exactly. homemade robots and shit, like in a in like an mm-hmm. octagon kind of setting. Yeah, totally. It's like this one's got a plow on the front, and it can uh, it'll you know. <laughs> It'll lift the other robot up and drop them, and that's how it does its thing. And the other one, it's like this one's got a flamethrower, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was it was super fun to watch those, but yeah, something like that, but for but for music. I, yeah, like I said, hard to explain. But anyways, so I, there's a lot of uh, ground I have to cover uh, before I can actually like make something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, like I would want to be able to do like the art direction, and I, I would want to be able to do like the animation and and the music, and sure. you know, maybe it's something I work on with a team but I would kind of want to have my hands in all the different aspects of it. So I have to learn music production, sound design, uh, 3D, animation, uh, storyboarding, user experience. There would be so many things that I'd have to like, it's a long-term goal. But I've over the course of this pandemic, because there haven't been any gigs and I've been inside a lot, I've had a chance to like really learn Blender. And um, I did my first audio-visual DJ VJ set. back back in the fall of last year which was like a bunch of little experiments that i'd put together in blender i um vj them in resolume which was like my first time vjing in like a long time and nice. uh, so yeah so you know as i say all of this of course so it's been a very like fruitful and productive time um but it's also been really hard you know it's been sure. like uh i'm already a introvert so, so this time has kind of, in many ways, I, for a while I felt uh, just this kind of loneliness and seclusion or like, uh, you know, lack of connection. And yeah. Um, yeah, I empathize with anybody who's feeling that lack of connection and stress and anxiety, because those are all things that I've experienced too over this time. Like um, a lot of the, uh, and, I, and I've talked to my other artist friends and they, and there seems to be a shared sentiment here a lot of the things that we were seeing on uh, the news and on Twitter and sort of in the, in the political zeitgeist uh, last summer really made like, they really made me very um, emotionally awake and like, just like sort of wanting to see a lot more compassion and just feeling like there was so much coldness because, uh, there is a lot of coldness on Twitter and Twitter can sometimes make you feel like the world is just a very cold place. Yeah. And so as I would sometimes and Facebook. And so as I would sometimes get like too sucked into that, I would, uh, I would need to like express that in some way. Like I would need to like channel that through me and like, and like bring something good into the world that, uh, transmute that energy somehow. So, um, you know, I probably, I made a lot of music sort of around that time and a a few friends of mine uh, kind of share that sentiment of like that really forced them to just dive into their creative process because it was like the only thing they could do to like channel their uh, emotion. And sometimes there's, it's the only thing you can do. Like words aren't sufficient to. Yeah. To uh, communicate. Yeah. Cause I mean, words, words can definitely come from the heart, but they typically, I think come from, you know, the thinking mind. Um, mm-hmm. That's like the most interesting part about art to me is is when you get up to that kind of, you know, penetrable barrier, barrier where like the words sort of just like fade away and it's just either the image or the, the sound 
or and whatever feeling you're getting from those things. I really love it. That's I think that's why I create because I mean, I do think language is also an art, but there's you know, there's certain things that language can describe that like maybe music or, or images can't, but then there's a lot a lot more we don't even have words for that images and music really really drill down into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Just when you look at a painting or a song, you're just like, yes, that, that. Mm-hmm. They said it, right? They, they said it without saying it. Like, yeah, totally. Um, the Like, just the ineffable, like, mm-hmm. whatever that is. Yeah, totally. Um, Speaking of the ineffable, how have psychedelics influenced your approach to art? Great question. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I can definitely speak to that. Um, so I'm a, still mu- very much like a psychedelic like newbie in a sense. Like I'm, mm-hmm. um, not, I'm not experienced by any stretch of the imagination, um, but I have had some very significant and powerful experiences with psychedelics. And um, I think that they are just so misunderstood by so much of the world and um, even by people, of course, in, in the scene. Um, and, totally. uh, you know, uh, how have they influenced my art? Okay. So there's a few things that like psychedelic experiences can teach you. That I think art can also have something to say about. And like one of those things is like this thing called the adjacent possible which is that concept of like a a possible way that things could be that uh they aren't right now or that or that like uh other potentialities like the ability or the chance for something to change or be different mm-hmm. like um shifting states of being like uh that sort of thread like the first time, for instance, that I, so with marijuana specifically, like the first time that I, the first experience that I had with marijuana was, um, I was hanging out with a couple of friends and I was over at one of their houses and, uh, we came back into the house after smoking outside and, uh, I just started, I closed my eyes and I sat down on a couch and I just had like a roller coaster of, or a Rube Goldberg of visualizations. <laughs> like I remember like, uh, like a like a I don't know if this is a thing, but like a hexahedron or like six yeah. side like a hexagon hedron. That's a uh, that's a cube. Breaks into like is the name. Oh, for okay. A, oh, okay. Then same. maybe maybe a okay. So not a hexahedron. Maybe o- like an octahedron, octahedron or something. Whatever yeah. it would be if yeah. it was like hexagonal, something like that. But nice. Um, breaks into two two million little or like two thousand little hexa or octahedrons and then you know you zoom in on one of them and there's it's a planet and there's a little house and inside the house there's a little snow globe and on the snow globe there's like a little elf and the elf's eyes like explode and one of the little shards of the elf's eye is like a little you know what i'm saying it just (laughs) keeps going and going yeah yeah like um that kind of thing is like uh something that i hadn't quite experienced up until that moment so that really is it was like a seminal kind of moment for me creatively where I was like, oh, this is like, we this could be art or something like that. Totally. 
Yeah, and then I guess, oh, yeah, over the years, too, uh, like, I've had other experiences where, you know, there was, um, there was, like, feelings of, like, darkness or uh, anxiety or regret or, you know, like, I shouldn't have done that or, like, am I going to be like this forever? You know, all the classic things. Like, I definitely had a couple, not many experiences of that. Mm -hmm. And um, after after such a feeling comes feelings of like everything's going to be okay. And like, you're part of a infinite succession of people who've, you know, lived or animals or, you know, kind of like have had experiences of like grace or like uh, just like realizing that everything's going to be okay. And that I'm back and that, you know, like reconnecting with myself and art, art can do all of that. Like, I feel like they're so synergistic in so many ways, but like one of the big ones is like in my music, I try to have moments of change or like a switch up where like maybe the beat's been going along like this for a while and then it changes and like maybe the time signature or the key changes and there's like now we're in a whole different space. And like when jam bands are like, you know, noodling yeah. around on a lick for like five minutes totally. and then all of a sudden like the drummer is like and then the lights change and then they go like yeah and like yeah. the vibe totally changes up like yeah, yeah. you know different lighting different beat different chords like and then the whole crowd is like yay like <laughs> yeah that kind of thing is very uh like everything can change you know that feeling of like things can be better like just you know you have to you have to orchestrate all of that, but it, that communicating that is something I love to do with music. So, uh, in a lot of like my recent tracks and like trio sets, we'll do like switch ups and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, That's something I'm trying to communicate. That's awesome. Yeah. What's your, what's your kind of like overall take on, uh, on consciousness? Like, do you think that like we're the author of our thoughts or do you think that we're just kind of receiving them and and then like riding the wave of them and maybe directing them to like you were saying like a different almost like a different uh reality when you think about it like instead of like you know i guess the future being a different reality or maybe like the multiverse idea um yeah just throwing that out Mm -hmm. there i don't know i don't know what you (laughs) what you think about all that but um, yeah, I think that, yeah, yes, <laughs> I think that like consciousness is, uh, is, you know, I, I think that like we were talking about the ineffable and this is like my shit. I love this because, um, my basic theory is like, it falls pretty much in line with like Robert Anton Wilson, who mm-hmm. says that there, there is an objective reality, right. but that we don't have access to that objective reality except a small slice of it. So our, the goal of, uh, the goal shouldn't be to understand reality or to um, to to fully understand it, and we shouldn't assert our perception of, or or belief about what reality is as though it's like a fact that everyone else should acknowledge. Sure, because sure. we only see a small slice of it. It's like you're looking at this like uh, seven billion dimensional object, and you're everyone's looking at it from a different angle. Yeah. So of course we're not going to think it's the same thing. Right. So, um, so yeah, I think, but you know, uh, so that, so that's the 
concept of reality tunnels, which is like everyone has their own reality tunnel that they grow up in with all of their uh, the things that their customs and their upbringing and their parents and their experiences and the books they read all come together to form the t- your personality and your identity. Sure. And so, um, like, I think that there probably is some kind of framework that contains everything. I mean, it's undeniable that there's some kind of framework that contains everything, be it the universe or, uh, the, you know, we're all clearly, uh, connected. Like it's not up for debate. The question is Mm -hmm. like language, like what do we call this thing? And like some people call it like, uh, God, some people call it like, I want to I want to say like this dimension is like the bardo, like, you know, there's different ways of describing like what this thing is that we're in, but it's, you know, there's obviously some kind of causal thing, whether it be a property that reality has, or whether it be like a a personal entity, there is some entity that is like the planet is an entity that, you know, so my, my perspective is kind of like, um, like, I don't, I don't like the baggage that like, uh, that religion has when it comes to consciousness and what what our consciousness is sure uh, yeah but i also don't like the baggage that science has when it comes to consciousness <laughs> although you know i'm pretty scientifically minded i just don't like the idea that like we're going to shut out other perspectives because i think that that's unnecessary you know so so with all that said so what i think is probably um probably your thoughts co-create your reality in conjunction with everything else and every all the other things that are happening around you and everything has some form of impact on reality so our goal should be as like people who are to some extent awake or conscious is we should try to impact our reality as best we can and uh are and not get stuck and try and yeah like when people say your thoughts create your reality um I think we should try and surround ourselves with like imagery, uh, ideas, people who are working to help us get to where we want to be. So whether that means like creating an image that represents like what we want our future to look like and kind of like, like remembering it or like a word or like a writing it down, you know, like that stuff, like sort of magic adjacent thinking is very much like, I think it works. It seems to have some level of provable, like, uh, this this works in yeah. in our lives, but I I also don't fully buy into anything like the secret or sure sure um, chaos magic or anything like that. I just kind of like I like the idea that our brains are influenced, like but percep we can we can impact our own perception by changing what we pay attention to, and changing what we pay attention to can impact our reality. So in that yeah. way, our thoughts can create our reality. Yeah, so, totally, and totally change like our per- perspective on everything. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite, uh, getting back to Robert Anton Wilson, one of my favorite lines from him is something, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's something like, you should imagine that you and the group of your like 10 closest friends are running the world. And that should be your conspiracy theory. Yeah. I'm so into that. Yeah. It's the prospiracy theory. Yeah. 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 Or, um, yeah, like pro-noia, right? Right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, and I'm also, like, right there with you. Um, I'm kind of, I kind of like to hold two separate, what would you call them, ideas or, or ways of looking at the world at the same time without either fully accepting or rejecting both because 
I really think that like that, like that that's where the truth is, is somewhere in this like paradox of having two seemingly opposite things, like actually be the one thing, but just different facets of that one thing. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, like, I don't, I don't think that like we necessarily get to choose our f- thoughts, but we can definitely try and focus our awareness on, on good things and on like, you know, for instance, like seeing other people happy and seeing yourself happy and, and just working towards that. Mm-hmm. Like one thing I always think about is like whenever I get it, whenever a song just pops into my head randomly, when there's not either any music or, or anything else going on, I, it's sometimes I think it's like some sort of message or some sort of like f- feedback from, uh, from I guess what you would call the universe or something. Um, and I'm trying to like, yeah, like solve this puzzle. And sometimes it's just like, you know, Hanson's bop and who cares, but like, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> I find all that stuff really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. Synchronicity. Um, like these moments when the most uncanny connections happen and, yeah. you know, they, I think, it, I think, you know, I, I honestly don't know. It could be, okay, the human mind is the best pattern recognizer in the known universe. So if you need a pattern recognizer, you, you're, you know, your best bet is going to be the human brain, at mm-hmm. least for another couple decades probably, or yeah. decade. Yeah, but yeah. Um, <clears throat> in terms of like being able to tell whether the pattern you recognize is a real pattern or whether it's just part of the noise or your brain kind of connecting to disparate things. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's, it's so hard to tell like a lot of the time. And personally, uh, I've never had like paranormal experiences except for mm. this one time, but wait, um, wait, wait, wait. But like before even we'll oh, put yeah. a pin in that, we'll put so, a pin in that. Can we come back to that? <laughs> we'll put a pin in that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think like, even that, I think that could honestly just have been like my brain in a state, like a certain state that was like overloaded with serotonin, overloaded with mm. uh, uh, adrenaline or whatever it was, mm-hmm. like on the fritz, like kind of just connecting unrelated things and kind of just uh, stirring stirring the pot of reality a little bit. And whether that's subjective or that really happened is impossible to tell and honestly almost doesn't matter so sure sure but but yeah man i remember uh i've had so many like moments when like i was thinking about a person and they called or yeah yeah. like uh i remember sometime in 2002 or 2004 lincoln park was on every (laughs) radio station right and you could like you could like it'd be like you know you change it to like 93.7 wstw it starts with one thing yeah. i don't know why and then like change the channel and then it's like in the end it's like okay wait change the channel again it's like and that was in the end by lincoln park and you're like, what is going on right now <laughs> yeah yeah oh man um so do you want to share what your paranormal experience was hmm no, no, no. This one, I'm trying to think if there's a way to share it without like, because it's like the length of the story. 
There would be so much I would have to share. I'm trying to think of a good. Uh, let's see. I think I think another time. Okay. Yeah. And then I'll see if no I have problem. any other ones that that might. But see, the the funny thing is that like outside of that one or outside of that, like I mean, you know, some people say they they lived in a house that had like ghosts in it. Mm. Um, and they swear that like this thing that went missing was like replaced the next day, but they didn't do it. And like, uh, or they saw aliens or, you know, yeah, me, I, everything's pretty normal over here. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, as far as like the outside world, um, yeah, things are pretty like uneventful, which is kind of, I'm almost jealous. I'm like, where's my alien abduction? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, I've seen, I guess I've seen UFOs, but never like aliens, you know. I guess I could save that for another time too. I'm, you know, keep people listening, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, dude, that was a sweet, uh, interesting, interesting little talk about consciousness there. Thanks for going down that path with me. Totally. Yeah, there's so, there's so much there. It's really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I want to pivot, um, to bring it back to art. Like what, what do you think the artist's role in society is? If you had to like pick a few things. I know that. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's think from an art historical perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, in, in, uh, most places, most eras, Art has been a, it's been a kind of, or let's, let's say it's, it's hard. It, it, it's a commodity now, or it's almost a commodity. It's like now it's almost become a commodity, but like at a certain time it was like spiritual and even not, not as far back as like ancient tribes, but also like, um, classical music. Like a lot of it was made to like glorify god you know like sure or as a sure. as a place for like a place for that energy um and uh you know uh shamanic music and like um drumming and things like that have always been kind of a spiritual thing um i right. think it's it's like medicinal i think it can it can be very medicinal like somebody who like uh, somebody who sings songs that can like really touch people and be healing, like uh, that kind of a thing. Um, art, so art can be like medicine. It can also be like a spiritual practice or a spiritual experience for the audience. Um, also a, a reflection of the society. So like, you know, mm-hmm. if you have like the music the like you could you could imagine an art critic saying like the tumultuous music evoked the post-war emotional landscape in you know mm-hmm. russia or whatever mm-hmm. you know somebody somebody could could comment on music as being like a reflection of the cultural landscape of the time like what people are thinking and feeling at the time um and then i know that in like the early 1900s um there was like the impressionist movement in mm. france right. and uh and england and and like europe in general and musically they were also doing some impressionism like um debussy wrote a song that was 
supposed to represent raindrops, like all the little notes. So he would play like a bunch of the high notes and low notes on the piano all in like a trill. And it was like supposed to be like rain. And um, the so so the two art forms like music was kind of like like Debussy didn't call himself an impressionist, but he was directly inspired by impressionists like painters in his music. So some there's something going on there where the art is reflecting the um, culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe just like life in general too. I think we we you know we're ta- we're taking in all the this information and experience all the time, and we have to express that back out into the world in some form. And I think that that's mm-hmm. that's kind of what like the artist's role is is sort of getting getting people to think about things in a new way sometimes and uh get it and also like maybe pointing even beyond beyond the culture or because when i heard you talk about impressionism just now to me it kind of seems like that maybe we're all sort of caught in the same thought wave at the time like a new sort of like way to perceive the world is just rolling through our our brains unseen and all our societies you know yeah just riding thought waves yeah man for sure so yeah i'll let's pivot one more time just getting back to like the music industry i've i kind of have this like stock question that i've been asking uh the the producer homies and uh it's what are what is a brutal fact about the music industry that people who aren't involved might not know about it let's see a brutal fact about the music industry hmm you're basically getting paid to uh, to you're ba- you're basically getting paid by then when you're when you're playing a set in a venue you're mm-hmm. basically getting paid to facilitate drinking the or or the process <laughs> of ordering drink from a bar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good take. That's so. a good take. Yeah. Okay, sweet. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. So I would just some some general advice that I would give to producers. Yeah. Would just like some basic advice that I'll give to producers would be to put like samples in your song of people saying things like drink. Or like, go back to the bar. Or like, <laughs> tip your bartenders. You know, things like that. <laughs> yeah, tip your bartenders. There you go. Positive message in the music. Um, but yeah, any, anything like that uh, is, is going to serve you well. Uh, but no, actually, uh, I think like it's not the worst thing in the world because while people are at the bar, they're also in a community. And so the real reason why we're doing this is probably to facilitate some kind of some kind of communal spiritual experience but uh yeah but uh in this economy it it's you're basically selling drinks <laughs> nice nice do you think so we were sort of talking about this earlier but like you said you have some shows planned when do you think like the next like big festival will happen if you had to guess or had to make um, a speculative next prediction? big festival i would say spring of 2022 so something like uh 
this is total guess. I, it's just my intuition, but something like a lightning in a bottle or a lucidity festival or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or uh, Sonic Blue, maybe. Uh, and I think, you know, internationally, it might be a little sooner, but in the US, probably not till then. Yeah. What do you think? I don't know. I saw that. Um, I don't know if you follow, follow Mr. Bill on Twitter, but he posted a tweet where he did like the math on the number of vaccines we're all getting a day. And he said, you know, basically like by the end of May, beginning of June, we'll have like 70% of the population vaxxed. If that is, if like every person, you know, gets the vaccine that day, I I suppose. Mm -hmm. And so like 70% is basically herd immunity. Now, whether, you know, local and state governments will follow science to that level you know that remains to be seen because there's a lot of like of course like optics and uh political uh back and forth that that goes on so i don't know i'm hopeful that like something can happen this summer maybe like closer to the fall like august september kind of kind of times but yeah me too, man. I'm also, I also want everybody to be safe and comfortable. But yeah, you know, like with these vaccines rolling out, if we're not able to kind of have fun again, like what's the fucking point? Yeah, totally. Let us have fun. That should be like a, a chant or something. Um, and it, and it, you know, it, we're going to get back to it. I, I do think we're going to get back to it. I've, I've talked to some people. It's crazy the wide range of like opinions from like my people who I think consider my smartest friends or like people who like really sure. know what's going on. You still get such a, it's a, an unbelievably, like my friend who like is a scientist and a biology uh, grad student and uh, is studying like soil science and like uh, has studied virology to a certain extent and knows, knows like the right places to look. doesn't think the virus is as big of a deal as the media is playing it up to be. Personally, I take it pretty seriously, but the fact that my, someone who I would consider my smartest friend is skeptical about it is very, it's just, it should, all it shows is just how, how uncorrelated being smart and being right are with each (laughs) other or, or, you know, I mean, in my, in my personal opinion, because I take the, I take the virus uh, seriously, but, um, that with that said, though, I know that like I know that we have to get back to like having fun and, and that like at a certain point there is a mental health toll from all of this that, you know, what is the safest thing for us to all be doing? Is it staying inside and just staring at our t- TVs or is it right. going back out and being in a community and, you know, how healthy can a hug be for, you know, compared with isolation? Like it's hard to quantify. But at any rate, uh, I do think that, um, you know, I'm. I might even end up playing like a small festival this summer if the circumstances are right. But I would really yeah. want to make sure that I spoke to people in the scene who I trusted, who are kind of like at the top of the festival planning game, mm-hmm. like, um, and see what they think about like what kind of protocols should a festival be following in this new uh, climate, and like, and like if the festival is down to follow those protocols, then I'd be now to play it, and if they are maybe trying to be more chill with it. Like 
you know, there's so much nuance to it. Like, should should the attendees be allowed to wear masks on the campgrounds that they're camping at? Should there be on-site camping, or like how much yeah. of it? Or like, what's the what should the capacity? There are people who've probably been like right on top of this, like thinking about it and follow and like consulting on it and stuff like that. For sure. And um, yeah, I would want to listen to those people r- rather rather than just taking the first offer that I get necessarily. But yeah, like, yeah. I'm as stoked as any anyone is to get back to it. Like so many of my friends and uh, I'm sure like you to, to a certain degree, like are stoked for the next time that we get to be at a festival at a, like a sunrise set, just like chilling out and just being like, we made it. Yeah. You know? I miss, I miss so much like goofing off with my friends in a field while music plays, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah, it's funny too, because like I do for me personally, at least like it sort of felt like taking this, you know, this last season off from, from going to festivals was like super necessary. I think I was getting, starting to get burnt out. Um, so I've been attending music festivals since like 2003 and then been working them since 2012, I guess, as like an artist or either like wow. production hand. So it kind of like, it mm-hmm. it actually kind of felt good to sort of like take a breath and sort of appreciate the the life at home that, that I have, but... Yeah, I mean, there is there's something really good, I think, in terms of mental health and 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 social like, you know, social health, I guess, to having like just relaxing time with your friends in the context of music and art and creativity. Yeah. Super important. Yeah, man. Mhm. But yeah, like I guess And uh yeah, so you know, Oh, go ahead. Sorry, we're on a lag here. Um, you go, you go. You were actually going first. Yeah. I was going to say that uh, Clubhouse yeah. has been super helpful for that feeling of like hanging out with friends. Agree. We've, we've, the, we've been a lot of the same Clubhouse rooms. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I can't wait till they, they roll out like the Android option for everyone else. Um, right now it's just, I guess only available on iOS. Um, but yeah, that's th- yeah, that is annoying. Yeah, because I know so many people who have uh, who would have so much to like bring to the conversation, but just happen to have an Android phone. Right, right. And it's what I like about it. Um, you know, after three weeks of nothing but everyone's personal NFT TED talk. Um, I think we found like a nice little (laughs) group of people, uh, we can sort of like goof off with on the, uh, on the interspace on the interweb. And, uh, I know I've mentioned it on here before, but clubhouse is kind of the dream come true app of social media from where I stand, I guess, in that it's not text-based, which I think text is good if you're trying to learn information or tell some sort of complex story, but I think it's not a great way to conversate with people or to converse with people because, you know, you can't tell tone and you, there's not the direct experience of transmission. There's like this medium that I think we're less used to as a species of, 
of animal really like it's kind of like a secondary style of receiving information rather than just like hearing the sound vibrations of someone's voice and so yeah it's basically just these little chat rooms of people hanging out and talking Um, but that does segue nicely into nfts and sam i've been seeing nft (laughs) i want to i do want to have some sort of like bulletin news music that happens whenever i bring up the word nft and it's like you know i'm i'm envisioning some like silly like 80s graphics like nft like kind of like smacking against the screen whenever (laughs) i say that but yeah man i it is an exciting it is an exciting time to be an artist especially a digital artist and i've let you know let's let's talk about your visual art some uh i had no idea that you were using blender and making all these really cool pieces of digital art oh yeah thanks man yeah i'm uh you know, I've been I've been diving into Blender now since probably September of last year. But before that, I had I had kind of tried to get into it in like 2014. I kind of tried to get into it like in 2011 because I had a class that was on um, digital art uh, at RISD and it involved Blender. So like me and Blender has have kind of like had like two or three or four false starts mm-hmm. and. Uh, then I would drop drop it for a couple years and go and make more music. But lately, I've started to get like more into some good like on onto some good tracks with Blender, where I can just like push my aesthetic and and like and like really dive into the creative flow in in that program, which is not easy. But but uh, you know, when you talk to people who use uh, other three D programs, they comment on how Blender's interface is very strange and uh, mm-hmm. limited limited to like a lot of sliders for different values. So like for like a certain effect there would, instead of having like cool knobs or buttons and uh, you know, like a usable interface, instead it just has all the parameters you can control, just listed out like a developer would. Um, (laughs) And it's, so it feels, you know, more esoteric and like, what does this do? Could you just takes a while to get it, but yeah, I'm starting to get it. And, could could you MIDI map those to like a little pad or something like that? I do believe there are some programs that can convert MIDI into keystrokes or uh, into other kind of like scripting for software, but I've never really thought about it for Blender, but mm. maybe. Yeah. That'd be cool. I thought about that earlier today because I was like, what if I put all my shortcuts onto a MIDI controller for like my design programs? Right. I feel like that'd be a lot more somatic i guess oh yeah you mean in terms of performance yeah or just like performing it flow like the flow um, of of work like the flow of process even yeah well so yeah so blender is it's not real time it does have a real-time render engine but Mm. but it's not as good uh in terms of like uh i don't want to get too technical with it but it's just not like Blender is more for like Blender is more for like rendering, uh, like not real time. But then there's other software like this one called Touch Designer, which I want to get into, which is real time, which means um, you can like change parameters like in a live performance setting, and you could like have certain parameters 
be audio reactive um, and you can like build these 3D shapes in real time and change them. And there's another one, another program for that called Notch, but I, I have yet to dive into those, but I'm, it's very much like all right there. Cause uh, I just got a new uh, tower PC, which finally can handle the kind of graphics I want to make. Nice. So now I just have the ability to like use like Unreal Engine if I wanted to or Touch Designer or whatever. So yeah, I downloaded a couple things, but I haven't quite gotten into it yet, but I can't wait to dive in. Hell yeah. And as far as these NFTs go, um, yeah, so I have a, you know, I've been super inspired by seeing like all these NFTs pop up on places like Super Rare. And for anybody who, who thinks NFTs are just glorified Tumblr gifts, like if you think they're just like glorified, like neon cat, 8-bit, like not even barely even art, like really look around on Super Rare and Foundation and you'll start to see some of the most talented digital artists of our day finally getting compensated for what they do. So this is not just a fad. This is like a super meaningful thing in the same way. And who knows if by the time I make a really awesome NFT mm -hmm. that it will still be as uh, high value as it is right now. It might just be like the the newness factor is kind of ramping up the prices that a lot of these NFTs are selling for. Sure. But the fact is that like some of my friends are like making $20,000 selling digital art. So how, how are we going to like say that this is not important in some way yeah i think they're here to stay for sure um because there's also mm -hmm. many other applications you can use them in like even for like like a deed of a house or the you know like the title of a car or something like that like it's it's basically like an a blockchain authenticated piece of code that can't be fucked with and they really can't be destroyed i suppose unless there's like some nefarious like hacking going on i'm not really sure honestly i'm kind of just spitballing here no for sure like that's that's right like okay so the blockchain in my limited understanding is a rather than like a database which would be like a table where there's like a, a right or a top column and a side column and you can enter in values this would be a um, a string of data that once you fill up a block with uh, enough entries, it goes to the next block and it fills that one up. And so that's why they call it a blockchain. But basically, it's just information that has a like a, like a tag that can't be you can't go back. The blockchain only goes forward. So if your information has a tag and it's back there in the blockchain somewhere, that's like preserved. Uh, purportedly forever. Now the question is like, you know, is that true? Like how, like I, just like with anything, I'm not going to trust it just because a bunch of people say that it's true. I want right, to right. like really read up on it and be like, okay, so what's the reason why it can't be tampered with? What's the reason why if, you know, a bunch of computers went out, like it would still be preserved on all the other, that's the idea of decentralization is that there's a bunch of computers all over the world that have access to this. So right. there is, there is no one, one coordinate that if you, destroy that you destroy the blockchain it's spread out over the whole planet and at any given time that information is available in many places so there's no one way to take it all down so that is cool but i don't know like you know uh i can only i can only really speak to how powerful selling nfts has been for the particular industry that i'm in and what i'm seeing with my friends and 
how, sure. you know, it's changing their lo- their lives, which is super awesome to watch. Yeah, man. Um, and yeah, I have some of, I have some of my own, uh, NFTs on my OpenSea. It's very new. So, yeah. uh, these are, these are like proofs, proofs of concept. Uh, I've got a couple, you know, I like these little audio visual loops, like my aesthetic for NFTs. I want it to be like a, um, like in the Renaissance, uh, people would have these cabinets that would have like little curiosities from all around the world. Like they would have like a little closet that you could open up and you could walk in and look around and there would be like a dolphin's tooth from the, from Madagascar or something like that. Like I want to make like little, or like a little globe that's just, that spins on its own, like little thing or like a little player piano that plays itself. Like little people would have these little objects that are fun to fun to look at and play with. Um, like a music box. So I like the idea of making NFTs that are kind of like these little rotating objects that are audio visual. So like uh, they, they have like some cool quirky audio visual behavior. Like maybe um, the kick is a certain object. The snare is another object. And so like when the beat is happening, like objects like scale up and down based on like how loud they are or like things like that, like making these little strange objects that are kind of like song objects or something like that, that kind of really correspond like one-to-one like audio to visual, but, but have the visual just be this super cool three, 3d morphing glitch out object. If anybody's, uh, uh, interested in seeing what i'm talking about or like what this could be check out this one video on youtube called gantz graph by Otiker. so Otiker is a-u-t-e-c-h-r-e and the oh. song is gantz graph g-a-n-t-z-g-r-a-f-f and it's basically like this strange 3d object like glitching out in and a million ways as the music plays right kind of like as the music plays synced yeah. up to that yeah yeah, like I, really synced up. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the uh, the Aphex Twin NFT the other day? Maybe yesterday, actually. Uh, yeah, I think I did see it. Yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, yeah, that stuff's so badass. Like that's mm-hmm. that's what I really um, uh, really love about stage visuals, like with music. I think it just adds so yeah. much. It's really like because not everybody is is geared to I mean I guess if you're going to a music concert you are but like I think humans in general are are more visual creatures than we are auditory and so mm-hmm. to have that like extra hit of lights or like the lasers doing their thing when a you know special part of a song comes on it's it really like drives home the point I guess yeah totally yeah cuz the ears are like meant to like hear things that are far away but the eyes are meant to like detect things that are closer to you mm-hmm. so at the happening directly around you so the eyes have to be really like sensitive and like uh respond quickly and directly to your brain so that you can you know whatever it happens to be like if you need to run away or fight or whatever your eyes can like uh immediately tell you that so like if you you can make art knowing that and kind of like uh yeah you can you can make some really amazing things happen with audio visuals and just combining those two at the perfect, in the perfect way. But yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm still very, very new to the audio visual to, to the audio visual side of things. But mm. I, I basically started making music as a way to accompany art, like always thinking that one day I would find a way to like combine the two. So, um, so this 
moment is very like important or feels very meaningful for me to be able to to like make something. And I would also say just to add um, anybody who's like who's feeling this like FOMO meets stress meets like urgency that that is happening right now because people want to get their work up on a on an nft platform like a it has to be like your work which means that it's not just going to happen overnight it's not just going to happen in a week it has to be like a thing that you've been working on like it's your like uh it's your art and so this is just one more platform to put your art on, but don't right. feel this pressure to make to make something right away or like to like capitalize on the moment unless unless you want to, but like don't feel the the external pressure to do that because you're an artist and you'll your art will be ready when it's ready. And then this is just a new way you can release your art, whether it be in a month, two months, a year. This is just a new way for you to be able to, um, you know, thrive. Yeah. But uh, yeah, only if it's like yeah one's best work because of the stuff that I'm seeing like do really well. Um, a lot of it is like eight bit crypto punk gifts or whatever, but a lot of it is like some of the most amazing digital art that I've seen. So I feel like I want to, I want to help or be involved in like elevating the art form. So absolutely, you know, I put a bunch of stuff up. I put like three things on my OpenSea, but now I, I realize like I want to take a step back and like think about what I want to make a little more and then start putting things up again. But yeah. 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 That's where I'm at. That, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, just really taking my time and wanting to actually make something for the space. And I know I, I've heard two kind of, two kind of like ideas about this. Like one idea is like kind of what you were saying, like, Oh, you know, some people are having this FOMO and like urgency and they're like, Oh, I'm just going to, just going to throw up whatever on the platforms. And I kind of see this as like a digital artist's realm. And so like, as someone who, you know, mostly just paints, uh, in the, the physical world and out of respect for the digital space, like I want to make my paintings move or do something special or have like an unlockable feature in there. And I think, yeah, from from what I've been hearing from people whose art and whose thinking I really respect is like to really just take your time and try and make something, try and make your best work um, regardless of whether, you know, artists are finally making as much as athletes do in one year. Uh, not yeah. to just like rush <laughs> the bandwagon kind of thing. But to uh, totally just like stay true to yourself and don't and don't I don't know there yeah like you were saying there are there are people just like selling little little gifts and little eight bit things and that's cool and I think it's that is more about the uh, like you were saying the newness of it all but as an art form yeah. like yeah, let's, let's elevate this thing. Let's, let's keep it going. And I think it will keep going. And, but you know, this is a whole new group of collectors. And so, 
Yeah, I just I I my hope is like compared to the uh like gallery world is that the NFT world will be based more on merit, storytelling, technical skill, uh future facing ideas and and concepts. And yeah, it's really exciting. It's really really exciting. And you know, yeah. you you are definitely like a multidisciplinary artist. And I see that that's kind of like where the world is going, like because AI will be able to replace a lot of like jobs in the future. I think that not just artists, but like people in general need to be a bit more fluent in different mediums of either creation or profession or, you know, things like that. Yeah. Being able to sort of take that meta view of the world and see how different disciplines connect and stepping kind of like an overhead. I've always liked the idea of like having an overhead view of things, like sort of being able to see how things are connected in ways that you can't really see when you're on the ground. Um, yeah. That's a, that's a fun way to look at things. Um, but yeah. Uh, so what, so what do you think of like telling a story with your art? What, what does that mean um, to you? Or like, how do you experience the idea of like telling a story with your art? That's a great question. Um, well, you know, getting back to what you were saying where, or maybe what Robert Anton Wilson said about each of us having little slices of objective reality, which, you know, science would just call subjective. Um, I think it's just about expressing that in a, in a way that other people can understand. And I know that, uh, I've listened to probably too much Terrence McKenna, but something he talked about, um, uh, several times in, in his lectures and talks was that part of the reason why we're in such a divided world where where people are kind of you know they we just don't understand each other but with like virtual reality there's a possibility of being able to take what you say and what you mean and projecting at it as either like an environment or an object and in that kind of way and and maybe this is what like Neuralink will do uh <laughs> we can understand where another person is coming from and kind of how they are perceiving the world. And that's, to me, that's what kind of storytelling is, is that like we're all caught up in some sort of narrative, right? Like that's what humans do. We make meaning out of things that would have no meaning if we weren't here because we're the ones who came up with the word meaning in the first place, you know? And so I, mm -hmm. that's OGs, kind of, I mean, oh geez. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of how <laughs> I think about, uh, storytelling and, you know, you can, it's a really good way to, uh, you know, quote unquote, find the others as, as Timothy Leary would say. And, and even, even if it, you're not like finding the others or, 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 you know, finding people who resonate with your slice of reality, you can at least understand where someone who might think totally differently than you is coming from um, maybe via this, this technology and, 
uh, via their form of expression. And I think that that can also be done just by like, you know, training your mind to be a little bit more compassionate and be involved in like active listening. Um, because I, I, you know, totally the way I see it is like, we're all just kind of subject to this causal wave, right? Like you don't choose your parents. You don't choose where you're born. You just, you just are who you are because you couldn't be any differently. And, and if you can just, if if that's like kind of part of the foundation of, of how you see the world, you'll understand why people think and act the way that they do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually now I think about like reading, reading, um, stories, reading like books, like Mm -hmm. for instance, reading something like of, of mice and men where, um, Lenny, who's one of the main characters, like kills somebody and like it's like a terrible moment in the story and it's painful and tragic. But you're also like, you know, I understand how Lenny did that because of what happened to him and his disability or like he his he wasn't very there was something he was like he had some sort of learning impediments, this character in this book. Mm-hmm. And so his uh so his behavior throughout the book, you kind of like the book sets up for that and you can kind of see how everything led to the conclusion that it led to. And like other, you know, every book kind of has things like that where you empathize with the character and you kind of see how their life experiences leads to what um, what happened. And as somebody who like read a lot of books as a kid, I, I analyze life that way all the time. I think about it all, that way all the time. But uh, yeah, being able to like, package your experience in a way that people can unpack and understand is a really cool thing about art for sure. Yeah. And, and that's why I love literature like that because I mean, more and more, I think the tendency in literature has gone from sort of like hero versus villain to sort of multi, multi-character timelines and storylines where each character is not totally good or not totally bad. And I think that's a more accurate take on, on the human condition and, and how things play out from person to person. Yeah. Uh, WandaVision has a lot of that. Shout, shout out WandaVision. Awesome show. WandaVision. I haven't heard that. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, it's on Disney plus. It's a, it's a good one. It's it actually, it's like, um, uh, Wanda, who's like, I guess this, this is going to show how little I know about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but mm. um, she's a, she's a character who has like a telepathic, mystical alien like ability to like restructure the matter around her, and she like goes through trauma, I guess, and then like in the the show starts out in this way where, uh, without giving away too much of the the plot, um, it's kind of like her internal world is manifesting in her external world or something like that. Anyways. Nice. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to do too many, too many spoilers, but, but that idea of like, you know, she's kind of like an, uh, in, in many ways, like an, it's ambiguous whether she's the hero or the villain of her story. Mm-hmm. Um, but you still, you still like to follow the story, but, uh, yeah, I think that's super powerful. Art like that is super powerful because it can inspire certain kinds of compassion and stuff like that. Um, and I also totally know like that, that Terrence McKenna quote, or he's talking about like, you know, when people say, I see what you mean, <laughs> exactly. I see 
what you mean. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like the, the whole idea of like language becoming manifest, it, it, like mm-hmm. being able to be viewed. Yeah. It's just so interesting. And, and getting back to the, uh, that character, that Wanda character whose internal like reality is, is manifesting externally. Uh, Carl Jung had this idea that at the end of the individuation process, which is kind of like becoming a whole human being, basically at the end of all that, your internal world is kind of indistinguishable from your external world, which I think is a, I mean, it's a really heady concept that I don't know if I have all the bandwidth to articulate right at the moment, but it's, it's something like, enlightenment right like your your whole you're totally transparent to yourself so you know that it's the whole know thyself thing right and if you know yourself you will know the world i don't know that's a really cool concept that Mm -hmm. i hope that and i hope that like maybe collectively as more and more individuals um think about things like this maybe through me, the vehicle of, of this new art and creativity paradigm that we're in. Uh, yeah, maybe we can build a better society, build a better world. Yeah. It's going to uplift a lot of voices right now that maybe don't have the means or ability to, um, to reach the audience they need to reach. Maybe now they'll mm-hmm. be able to. So this is very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, sweet, man. This has been an awesome conversation. I just want to end with this question, and we can take as long as we want here. Um, Why make art? Why make art? Because it's something to do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's something to do. Um, You know, I, I think that like art, Art is like, uh, art and life can can almost be indistinguishable. Like we are, we're here, we're humans because uh, we were able to move through the stages of like pure survival, which we managed to like be able to do by creating like tools and societies and getting out of the you know the desert and things like that, and so we are we now it's like once you have your basic survival like food clothing shelter love stuff like that then you start looking around and saying what else can i make what else can i do you know that feeling or or sometimes it manifests as almost like an existential angst like like i i don't know what to do right now like that feeling mm-hmm. can be channeled into like making art like art is like the if it goes like food water shelter and then somewhere in that is like create and i don't mean art like painter or sculptor or musician i mean art like uh like creating like just or even making or even um expressing yourself like expressing yourself in some some way so why Mm -hmm. do that i think it's because it's a good it's it can almost be it's a channel it's a way to channel energy in you that's kind of like doesn't know where to go you can channel it through the art and it can become something and um 
you know, it's, I, I don't want to say that it's like our birthright. Some people don't have like an art that they can do. And so that can create this feeling of alienation, but, sure. um, you know, not every one of us is meant to be like a, 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 a painter or a musician, but every one of us is like able or like might try like to, to, to do something they haven't tried and just try to see what they can cook up. Like whether it's like cooking in the kitchen or like uh, facilitating groups of people talking, like creating community. Yeah. Um, you know, there's so many different ways to create. And um, so why, why do that? Okay. It's, it's got to do with like, this isn't necessarily an answer because it still doesn't explain why to do this, but it's like, we were created by a generative force that's kind of like this fractal generative force that that just like um it has like a high level form as like this giant entity which is all of us or which is like nature itself or whatever mm -hmm. but um we but we are also capable of making and creating things that are like creating little worlds or like yeah you know we can do that too so it's like we can take part in the great thing that's happening so that's what art is to me Nice. Sweet, man. Well, thank you again so much. I think we can, we can leave it right there. It's a beautiful place to end. Um, real quick. Thanks so much, Andrew. This was a blast. Yeah, man. This has been awesome. Real quick, tell people where they can find you and I'll definitely include it in the, uh, description and all, and all, all the socials. Cool. So on Instagram, it's at 5am music and I'm pretty responsive on Instagram. Um, so 5am music, I also have my website, samandrus.com and 5ammusic.com. They both redirect to my website and you can contact me on there. And, uh, you know, if anybody wants to uh, connect as far as people who might use Blender and want to get a collab going or anybody who uh, wants to talk about logos, I, I do logo design um, and also the music. Uh, you can listen on 5am on Spotify or soundcloud.com slash 5am-beats. Nice. Well, sweet, man. Thank you so much. And um, to everybody out there listening, we'll see you next time. Peace. Much love, everybody. Thanks, Andrew. Peace out. Did you like this week's episode of RCAF? Tune in next week for an even more riveting episode. Bah, bah.